Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to have you here with us today. Got a lot of things to go over today. We're going to talk about remote work, uh, how that's affecting the job market and so forth. Also, two special purpose acquisition companies. Well, this is something that was hot a while ago. We're going to talk about how it's not hot now and what could be the next that is not hot, that is hot now. And also two very important to us is value stocks. I wanna talk about why value investing now could be great in 2024 and many other things to talk about. And with me is Chase. Chase, you got some things to talk about as well, right? Well, I mean, as always, we're here to answer your questions. That's what the show's based on. So you wanna join the show, give us a call here, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288. 0973 and I feel a little off you know I was I was out of the office yesterday at a charity golf tournament yeah and how'd it just, go I mean I'm terrible at golf <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's a scramble so it's fun so uh, a couple of guys I was with were, were pretty good but right. you know I, and I that was for what was the charity for uh shelter to soldiers oh, very good awesome charity. awesome charity they uh actually kind of have a dual purpose essentially where they rescue shelter dogs and they help soldiers with PTSD by pairing them with that shelter dog train it up really yep. send them through kind of a extensive process to make sure they are good service animals as right. well. So, I mean, it's it's a super cool charity. They, they do a great job there. So, I'm happy to support the cause. And, you know, it was, it was fun to be out on the golf course at Singing Hills by Saquon. So, oh, nice. it was a fun time. Met some good people. Good. Had good. a fun time. Yeah. All right. Um, and, oh, and we've got to mention, too, that we are the proud investing partners of San Diego Padres. So, always want to mention that, that uh, we love supporting the Padres. But let's talk about uh, finance, and uh, I want to talk about remote work today because another sign that workers will be coming back to the office was a report that showed tech companies overhired and that working from home, <laughs> no surprise here, did not prove to be effective. Year-to-date tech companies have laid off approximately 168,000 people, and the layoffs are occurring for a couple of reasons. First, they discovered that people were working only, and <laughs> no surprise here as well, four to five hours a day logging in at 11 o'clock in the morning and wrapping up and logging off by 4.30 that same day. It was also discovered that uh, some tech companies did become overzealous and looked at hiring more people as almost an ego boost as it was an indication that they felt the business was going to grow rapidly in the future and they would need a lot of employees. Now, part of the hiring was done to keep talented employees from going to the competition, a, a hoarding of employee talent, so to speak. No matter how you slice it, though, this is not a problem with the economy, but more with tech companies and people working from home. And and, and the other thing, too, we've talked about this a lot on the show, is that these people in these tech positions, the nice thing is most companies in different fields now also need tech. Yeah. So they do have a home in terms of finding a new job. In many cases now, <laughs> you might not have the, the cush comfort zone of not logging into a computer till 11 a.m. You might have to go into the right. office to get that new job, but the jobs are definitely out there. And, and that's important for two reasons. The reason why I brought this up uh, this past week and, and here on the show is it's affecting two things. One, the labor market and the economy. 
but also too, you're hearing right now a lot of concerns on commercial yeah. property. And what we're seeing, and we've talked about this now, I'd say for the past year, we're seeing this trend of more people coming back into the office because when, and I said this two years ago, when things slow down, I'm sorry, you're not gonna be able to stay at home because that employer is gonna need to, to get more out of the employees uh, and they may lay a few people off, so they need more there. So you're gonna come back in the office and we are seeing like, oh, you know, commercial real estate. It appears to be right now that the main problem is in uh, New York and like San Francisco and also with class B and class C. Class A is seems to be doing very well because these people coming back, like if you wanna come back to the office, hey, we got a nice place for you, you gotta come back now. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's the same concept, and a lot of times I think people miss this. And you've had the last 10 years, essentially, it didn't matter what you did. You bought right. a class C office building, yeah, you made money. Yep. You bought Bitcoin, yeah, you made money. You bought whatever, essentially, you made money over the last 10 years. And I don't care if it's a stock or if it's real estate. If you buy a bad stock, it doesn't mean you can't make money. Right. But at some point, as we always say, the fundamentals matter. It's the same concept in real estate. If you buy a bad piece of property, yeah, you could still make money in theory over a 10-year period because there's so much money in the economy. But again, all of a sudden things slow down. I mean, we've used that saying from Warren Buffett, when the tide goes out, you see who's not wearing a bathing suit. Right. It's the same concept in real estate. If you have a bad office building, yeah, I think those are going to have some serious problems now. But again, those class A buildings, they seem to be doing quite well. And especially for those businesses say, yeah, we, we need to have a place for our employees to come. They're probably gonna be going to those class A buildings. And I do wanna point out, that I was right. Remember a couple of years ago, people said, oh, you're old. You don't get it. The way you used to do business is over. Everybody's going to be working from home in the future. Offices are done. And I said, no, you just don't understand how business works because as, a, as an employer, as a boss, as a manager, as a supervisor, you need to have those people there when you're trying to squeeze out everything you can. Because when times get tough and profits are shorter, you're going to try to squeeze out everything you can. I said, yes, people will come back. No, no, that, that's not going to happen. And I do wonder, too, maybe part of the problem with the real estate market uh, is that a lot of people bought homes that were further out. Yeah. And now, like, wait a minute, now I got to commute an hour? <laughs> you know, so uh, that could cause some problems. They thought, oh, no, this, this is this is going to be the way it's going to be. We'll never go back in the office. I said, no, that's not true. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, we have a team of nine people. Yeah. And I could not imagine having people not in the office. And it, it's... It, it's just so much harder to communicate. And I know there's different tools that, and again, I'm, I'm younger. Right. And I know technology and I, I'm not, you know, a tech expert by any means, but I, I can utilize technology. I'm going to say better than you can. <laughs> right. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> I won't deny that. <laughs> but I, I, I just can't imagine not having that. And, and we work in the service business as well. So, I mean, I, I can't imagine not having that connection with, with uh, the employees that, that we have. Right. And, you know, you get to know them. And it, I tell you what, and we said this years ago as well, is you really almost become just another number many times you're working online. You don't have that connection yeah. with your coworkers, with your bosses. I mean, it's hard to build that. And I, I think that was a very kind of short-sighted mindset for a lot of people that, that um, were looking at it that way. Right. And, and that's why we do like commercial real estate, class A buildings in the right areas down the road, probably the next uh, 12, 24 months. I mean, you've, you've got to do it right. You can't just go out and buy any building. Uh, you, you've got to do it, <clears throat> do it right there. But um, that's that's a trend that I think will be changing going forward to where more people will be coming back. I've not seen a report lately on how many people actually work from home now. I know it's a lot less than it used to be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more than it used to be if you look pre-COVID, but it's less than it used to be, obviously, if you look at the height of COVID. And it seems like 
that trend is kind of reverting back to more normalcy. And I'm quite confident in this, that the, the remote work will be higher than it was in 2019 mm-hmm. going forward, but I, I think it's not going to be as much of a difference as people thought. No, and funny too, I did see a report a couple of weeks ago that they said actually people coming back in the office are happier because at home they felt lonely, depressed, when you come in the office, oh, you know, you got parties, you go out to lunch, you, you socialize with social human beings. So it, there is a positive to it uh, as well. And, you know, kind of just on that topic sure. of socializing, and it's so funny. I was, I was reading actually in Barron's, this is, gosh, maybe months ago, but they had an article about the people that were happiest in retirement were the social butterflies. You know, right. they, yeah. they're the people that yeah. they set lunches with friends and they have groups and they do things. Yeah. I mean, the same concept. We're social beings. You need to have that human interaction. And Sorry, just sitting on a Zoom many times is, is right. not going to be satisfying enough to the yeah. brain. It, it, there is a good thing to go, go in the office. Uh, well, let's talk about, and we, we did discuss this again years ago as well, so be careful of these, but the Special Purpose Acquisition Companies, also known as SPACs, another year has passed, and more data is on what a bad investment special purpose acquisition companies were, also known as, again, SPACs. Uh, I hate to tell people I told you so, but back when these blind investment pools were hot, we warn people, in 2022, the total write downs amounted to $11.6 billion, which was a huge increase from the $2.7 billion in 2021. Can't wait to see what 2023 is going to look like. <laughs> and the reason for the write downs is based on what is known as goodwill. This comes about when a business is acquired for more than the value of its assets. Now, accounting rules require the measurement of fair value to the assets annually. If that figure is less than the amount recorded in the books, the value of goodwill must be reduced. I've been in the investment world, or we've been in the investment world, more so you have been in the investment <laughs> world, I should say, for 40 years. And I continue to see that these hype investments that make Wall Street a lot of money, unfortunately, in many cases, leave the average investor with losses. Now, this is why we continue to be value investors and invest in companies when they're on sale and then sell them when they're overpriced. It's a very simple concept. Right. But it's not always easy to do. Right. And and again, I've been doing this for over 40 years. There was always something hot for people to be sucked into. And right now it's the, I always get the letters wrong, chat, IBT. GBT. GBT. GPT. Yeah. yeah. That's the next hot thing. And you're seeing companies going up because, oh, this and, and AI. AI's been around for a long time. Yeah. But it just, here is another thing like the SPACs, like the meme stocks, another thing that people getting sucked in and bringing these prices way up that the only thing that can happen is they'll come way back down again. And I, I don't know, We at our workshop this past Thursday, and I said in honor of 420, you know, we talked about the 20. weed stocks. And oh, it's, yeah. It's yeah. a big weed holiday for yeah. a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know when that was. <laughs> so I was like, oh, in honor of 420, let, let's look at the marijuana stocks. I don't know if you were listening to me when I when I said this. I think I was. But, but Tilray, this was, again, another example yeah. of a hot topic, a hot stock. Oh, you guys are just wet blankets. You're missing it. Tilray in 2018 went from like $25, $30 a share all the way up to, gosh, I think it was like $150, $160. Wow. Today, $2 a share. $2 a share. $2 a share. (laughs) Hey, sometimes being a wet blanket, I guess, isn't so bad. (laughs) Not so bad. And and it is the hype that brings you in there. And and again, we've talked before in the past about 3D printers, which Mm -hmm. actually now are really starting to be yeah. used more. But I don't believe the 3D printer company that was, you know, that was one that was back then because their symbol is very easy to remember, DDD, uh, went way up to like, I think 100, then went way back down to probably about $2 a share. I think now makes more sense. We're now talking 15, 20 years later. And this chat, 
What is it again? I GPT. GPT, this chat GPT. It will be there someday. But the thing is, it's not going to be there tomorrow to where all of a sudden it's making all this money and the stocks that you're going into or stocks are being pushed up because of it. It's a passing fad. It will come back down and it'll be replaced by something else that I can't even imagine what would be, be coming out. And I'll tell you, it is so hard. I mean, because there, there are going to be your Amazons, there's going to be your Teslas, and, and we miss those. Yeah. But statistically speaking, there's a lot more hype stocks that completely crater and you lose so much money than what actually results from buying and finding an Amazon or Tesla or an Apple. Like those are, again, diamonds in the rough. Most people aren't going to be right. able to find those companies for the long term. Many of them end up folding. And I mean, it's amazing what those companies have been able to do. But to invest in those very, very early on, it's very high risk. And you have no idea. It's very easy to call the ball game, as we always say, after it's over. Yeah. But gosh, before the ball game starts, you don't know who's going to win necessarily. Right. And, and the other thing too, it flies against all the fundamental reasons on how to invest because to do it right, you would have to buy a Amazon, put your money into it and then never sell it. And you did very well. But the thing is, as it be, as it did better, it became more concentrated in your portfolio, which is against investment rules. You shouldn't be doing that. So it is almost a gamble. And there are some gambles that pay off. I mean, I know somebody's made millions of dollars in Vegas. Yeah but it, it just doesn't fly correctly in, in investment rules. Well, and it, it's it's very hard because, again, as I said, we'll use Amazon, where you've had periods where it goes way up and then it goes back down and then it goes way up further and then it comes back down and it goes way up further. It, it, it's going to have those pullbacks, but if you look over the long term, it's like very easy now to say, it's like, gosh, there's people that have done extremely well on that stock. Right. But I'm going to use that, that Tilray example again. Do you think the people that held Tilray at $150 a share, thought that was the end of the game. I'm sure there was maybe some that did well on it. Right. But there was many others that thought, like, this is the future. This thing's going to 300 400 You always think what it's going to go higher. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's it, it's just so hard. And that that's why if you have no discipline when it comes to investing, it, it's a losing man's game, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, discipline is, we always talk about emotions, no emotions. Discipline is part of that as well because you've got to have discipline to do it. And sometimes doing the right thing is not going to be what, after you look back in the past, like, darn, I wish I did buy Tesla back when I was like, I don't know, $100 a share, and now it's, you know, whatever. Uh, I made 10,000%, but that's not the norm. And for every one person that did that, there's probably hundreds that, held on to some company that went to zero. Or uh, let's use Rivian as an example. There the, we go. The people that many times like Tesla were like, oh, the Rivian or the, the missed Tesla. This is the other one. Like, I, I don't want to miss the yes, next Tesla. Yes. And then you, you buy Rivian. Or you think that, you know, <laughs> that Rivian's the future, let's say, and you take your profits from Tesla and then you buy Rivian and then you wipe out all your profits because <laughs> that thing's down, you know, 90%. That does happen. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that does happen. And, and it is true. It will cause you to do bad things investment wise because of the perfect example you said was well, so I'm going to take my profits from Tesla that I've made and now Rivian's the next one so I'm going to buy Rivian at you know $50 a share and that's going to go up I think Rivian's what 12 or 13 now somewhere I think around there with that and and then oh you know so you've got to have a discipline you've got to have fundamentals to do proper investing so you don't have those down periods and I, I've, I've talked to people before like yeah at one point I had all this money and I lost it all. Yeah. Yeah. That same thing's going to Vegas. So uh, it's exciting, <clears throat> but it doesn't uh, hold true. Which brings me to our next topic here. Oh, and by the way, phone number's going to open the phone lines for you. Um, 
288-0973. And as always, that'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Again, 833-288-0973. Well, I, I know people are fearful about investing now. And when I tell them I expect to have a very good year come December 31st, <laughs> I think they question my thoughts. Uh, currently, value stocks are very inexpensive compared to growth stocks. And they're actually discounted <clears throat> more than they have been for four-fifths, or 80%, essentially, of the time in the history of the stock market. Another study actually showed as well that when inflation runs between 4% and 8% per year, value stocks outperform growth stocks by 6 to 8%. Now, people may be afraid of inflation, but it actually is a benefit to many of these value stocks. And yeah, we're going to keep investing here. And, yeah. you know, we, we talked about down periods. And yeah, I, I, I can't give you the performance numbers, but yeah, we were down a little bit last year. Yeah. That's going to happen. It's so funny. You know, you talk to people and it's like, yeah, out of a seven-year period, we're going to have a couple losing years. Right. I was down last year? How does that happen? <laughs> I, you need to understand when you invest, there's losing months, losing quarters, and yes, losing years at times. Yes. I mean, be, yeah, I'd love if we could make 30% every year. Who, who wouldn't love that? Right. <laughs> but, but that's not the reality of, of investing properly in the long term. And, and, you know, on my computer screen in the office, right on the bottom of the screen, uh, I do have, and it's it's taped on there because I can't put it on there, but it's taped on there, uh, the performance for the last seven years on on the portfolio. And uh, there are a couple losing years there. There's the good years, the bad years, and so forth. And I and I keep that there to keep uh, on track. And, and what's going to happen is that you're going to have, again, the good years and the bad years, but you, you look through it and you remember those years. And I remember a couple of years like, a lot of things came at the very end. They came when you at least expected it. And the hardest part is like right now, nothing's happening, nothing's changing. Day goes up and it goes down. Next day, week up and but eventually all of a sudden you look back like, well, how do we get up fifteen mm percent? -hmm. And it just things change. And and uh, the value portfolio that we talk about, <clears throat> I mean, when you compare the fundamentals or the valuations to these growth stocks. I just don't see how they're gonna keep on going. I mean, yeah. well, do you know when uh, like Apple and Microsoft report, is it next week or the week after? I assume, it's, sure. I assume it's coming up, because I know it's normally, I mean, we're, we're getting into the heat of earnings season. You know, we got Tesla, Netflix. I, I would assume it's next week or the following week. Because Tesla reported already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, not so good. Not so good, no. I mean, they, they had uh, contracting margins. They actually had declining net income. Uh, sales were still up, but yeah, I mean, you trade at 30 times earnings, your sales better be increasing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the, the big thing that uh, I think was a detriment to the stock was that their gross margins really contracted. And, and right. that was, you know, kind of one of the reasons why people were saying, oh, they deserve a higher multiple than the GMs and Fords and so forth is because their gross margins are so much higher. Right. Well, those start to contract all of a sudden. There's going to be some problems. And I, I got to say, too, I know Elon Musk mentioned on the earnings call that he is not necessarily that concerned with selling the cars. Like he's like, we could sell the cars at zero profit. It's right. more about building that base for future revenue. And I, I still just, I don't know. I mean, he's obviously a very intelligent guy. I just don't know how essentially they're going to capitalize off that, that software in a car. And I know there's the, the self-driving type stuff that, that they offer, and I think that is a monthly subscription. Well, what about the charging stations? Will they Maybe the charging stations, they start charging for that. But I, I just, 
Well, they, they do charge for them now, depending on... Well, maybe what, charging yeah. more. More, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, once they got you, <clears throat> well, they can charge more. It's like... But the only problem is I think you can use the other charging stations as well. Mm-hmm. So if you have, you know, maybe... And if Tesla starts <laughs> to increase the price of charging perhaps too much, then it creates that, that... Well, maybe I'll go. I think it's like EVGo or, you know, Blink or there's other charging networks. So there's going to be more competition there. And I, I just... I, I, I don't know, essentially. I think people, of course, if they sold the cars at nothing, I mean, their their margins would be atrocious. Right. You know, and I think you're now talking about a years away from really being a good margin business. And and even then, I, I, fixing the cars, and I mean, they're still cars. They're still going to deteriorate. You're going to have problems with, you know, the, the materials in the car. You're going to have problems with components and so forth. I, I just... I, I don't see essentially that 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 future of you know the software in the car being like the software in a phone. Here's another interesting fact for uh, Tesla. Do you know they don't advertise? So that's mm-hmm. that's a big expense for a car maker's advertising. That's very Will true. Will they change because now they're lowering the price of the cars? I think six times now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Will they change to where they start advertising, trying to get more people coming in? That'd be another expense. It'll hurt your hurt their profit margins as well. I think the only other companies that or major size on advertise. I think of Ferrari and Lamborghini, but I think Tesla might say, you know what, we need to kind of advertise the new stuff we have because, and they are losing market share because yeah. Ford, GM, uh, Kia, Volkswagen, all Volkswagen, yeah. um, they are taking share from them now. Tesla's still the huge yeah. one, but you lose a little bit each month, and and like, well, hey, we we gotta get some of that back. We gotta tell people why they want a Tesla, so uh, that could hurt their margins as well where they start advertising. So I'd, I'd be very curious to see if they do that. Yeah, I mean, you'll never catch me in a Tesla. I, I don't like them. <laughs> and I, I just, I, I think they're just so, you see them on the roads and like the Model 3, the Model Y, I mean, those are the, the big, they all look the same to me. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like it, it, it's, I just don't like it. When you see like, <laughs> you see like five of them on the road and you're like, I don't like that they're all the same, you know? Right. Right. And I, I like having the different cars. I'm sitting here looking out at the freeway, and you know, you just see all the different types of, of cars on the road, and you, you like the, the differentiation rather than having every car be the same. And it, it just it just doesn't make sense to me of how Tesla can keep growing at the rates that they've been growing. And especially all of a sudden, what tells me they're having problems is that they're cutting prices so much to try and meet those deliveries that that need to essentially occur to right. meet their production and delivery goals. And you know, I just said they don't do advertising, but you know, <clears throat> kudos to them. They didn't need it. They built this this kind of brand that you know uh, generated that type of attention without the traditional advertising methods. But they, they got to have some next act essentially to to keep that stock even at the current levels. Well, they got the. Uh is a pickup truck actually coming out? <clears throat> that beats me. I mean, that, that thing's been <laughs> talked about for years, and it just, it's so funny. Any other car manufacturer? They'd be dead. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, they'd, they'd be taking serious headsets like, oh, well, maybe next year. Next oh, year. okay. Oh, no, 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 no. Maybe hey, next year. <laughs> oh, wait, what happened to their sports car? They had a sports car, too. I don't even know. <clears throat> yeah, that, that's gone. But what I was going to say, too, is, is it reminds me of, used to watch these movies that are futuristic. And in the future, all the cars look the same. And I feel the same way when I go down, you'll see like two or three Teslas. It's like, that's ugly. They're all the same now. I yep. don't want to be the same. I mean, I, I like the variety <clears throat> of different cars. And and that is, a, I don't want to say exclusive San Diego, but I don't think it's the same way. I w- went to uh, uh, Montana. I don't know if I even saw a Tesla. Yeah. 
you know. Yeah, and <clears throat> I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't get me wrong. What what they have done is truly amazing. Oh, yes, I mean, yes. and, and the business is is very like if, if Tesla traded at I'm going to say ten times earnings, I, I would be very intrigued. Right. But it, it doesn't. I mean, that that's the problem is the valuation on the stock. And you have to get that growth going forward. You have to get those margins re-expanding. And I, I say you have to. The only reason you have to is because the stock is so expensive. Right. The stock wasn't trading <laughs> that high. I mean, you could maintain margins and, you know, just kind of keep on as business as normal. But, yeah, I mean, that, right. that's the danger with these growth stocks. It's about investing into a business at reasonable valuations versus uh, going along with a concept uh, which again, great concept, great car and so forth, but eventually that does fade and all of a sudden you're left with nothing and you start doing the crazy things where you sell it and you buy the Rivians because you think that's the next concept. So, uh, yeah, I just looked over. We, we have all phone lines open, uh, phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And you've got an equity, a stock that you're kind of looking at. Should you Kind of concerned, maybe it's a Tesla type situation. We're gonna say, should I sell this and buy something else? Uh, what should I do? That's what we're here for. Kind of go with the fundamentals of the companies that you're looking at buying, selling, or holding here. So, um, well, well, Chase, I, I do want to talk about uh, YouTube TV for NFL streaming. You may have heard that YouTube, which is owned by Alphabet, purchased the NFL Sunday uh, ticket package for two billion dollars per year for the next seven years. Now, Directv had been paying one point five billion annually and decide to let the contract go. Downside is a full season of Sunday ticket will now cost $449 if you don't want to subscribe to YouTube TV. That is up from $300 that DirecTV charged, uh, was charging just last year. And, and if you want the Red Zone channel as well, which is, uh, I think, one of the more popular features of the Sunday ticket, that will also cost you an additional $40 for the subscription. Now, sorry about the bad news, but there is some good news, and that is if you sign up before June 6th, you actually get the Sunday ticket at a discounted price of $349, or again, a $100 discount. There are other ways to get a lower price, which include paying $72.19 a month for YouTube TV's base video package, which includes the major broadcast and cable networks there as well. And, you know, frankly, I've, I've gotten the Sunday ticket the last few years. I don't know what I'm going to do here. I mean, I you had it. You didn't. You I've had it. Had it. Yeah. With you Directv, I, I, I would I would get the Sunday ticket because, but I haven't watched football as much as I used to. And and the thing that I hate about it is I, I would only really watch it watch the Cardinal games. Right. So I, I'm, <clears throat> I'm paying four hundred and fifty dollars just to watch one team, <laughs> and that's what just irks me. It's like, yeah, great, you get all of these different games, but I don't want all the games. I just want one. <laughs> I, I'm surprised you do that. You're pretty tight with your money. And, and I have football is my you have, you know, cars as a hobby. Yeah. Football is my my kind of go to like that that's I, I don't want to say I, I, I'm okay wasting money on football, but you, <laughs> you know, I enjoy spending money on enjoy, it. Yeah. yeah. So, but by the way, all these topics we talk about and other ones like uh, TikTok ban, we also talked about uh, India's population, the lending capacity, streaming services, all this information you can get for free on our website through our newsletter. It's a free newsletter. Just go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. You get like 10 to 15 different topics that we talk about that are real thought out, real planned out. People say they love the newsletter. It's just great information. And you can kind of pull out things you want to read. Uh, again, free. But you guys enough for it. It goes out every Friday around 5 o'clock. Uh, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. 
Rock2000.com. All right, phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Val. Val, you're on the Smart Investing Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes, I am interested in ABCL, Absellera. It's, uh, I think, a Canadian-based um, biotech company. Okay, and uh, you said you're a hold it or you're looking to buy it? Uh, I have a very, very tiny initial position okay. of 100 shares. Uh, I'm looking to, to perhaps add to it. Okay. And I think uh, the company, again, is Abacellera Biologics, uh, symbol ABCL. Uh, they're in the biotechnology industry, a big uh, short float here. A lot of people shorten the stock, 15.2%. That's pretty high. Institutional ownership is only 46.5%. They do have a P.E. ratio that's not bad, 14.4, because the industry has nothing there. <clears throat> Price to book value, 2 versus 29.7. Price to cash flow, 8.2 versus nothing for the industry. <clears throat> no peg ratio, uh, same as the industry. We do see earnings over the last year are down 23.1%. Industry down 44.1%. Sales did decline for the company by 0.7%, but the industry was up 15%. Now, the five-year growth rate for Albacerera is uh, 10%, which is very good because the industry is at negative 5.9, so it's the only positive I've seen so far. Look at the balance sheet, a lot of liquidity here. Current ratio, 8.7 versus 5, and debt equity, 0 0.0 versus 0.5, so a good balance sheet. Uh, we do see a net profit margin, also very good, 32.7 versus negative uh, 0.5, and return on equity, 12.9 versus 43.2. There's a couple of good things here, but I think it's really going to come down to you, Chase. What do you see going forward? Yeah, so current price here for, uh, again, Abacellera, ticker symbol ABCL. Well, it's $7.21. Wow, 52-week high here, $14.97. So it's essentially been cut in half. 52-week low, though, $5.42. I see year-to-date the stock is down 28.8%. Actually, bigger than I thought it would have been. Uh, market cap's uh, about $2 billion, so decently-sized company yeah. there. Going forward, though, unfortunately, <laughs> I look out to December 2024, I see estimated earnings per share is negative uh, $0.57, cents actually, there. Six analysts on it, which is, again, more analysts than I, th I thought would be following this company, but I don't like that there's a negative estimate for earnings per share because we can't use our multiple to d derive a target sell price. Now, this is obviously is a biotech company, so it, it's uh, just one of those very high-risk ones. I mean, if they all of a sudden have, it looks like they develop antibodies to treat infectious diseases and various other types of diseases. Yeah, sure, the stock's going to do great, but if it doesn't come to fruition, they'll run out of money and the, the stock will have some serious issues. So it's really hinging, I think, probably on their patents and, and what they're able to get through. It, it's, it's, I'm going to say, a little bit more of a gamble than, than what we like to get involved the in. Yeah, Val, and, and this is definitely a, a gamble stock. I, I did see the trend of the earnings are declining going forward as well. So, I mean, if they, it's one of these drug companies, they hit something, wow, the stock could, you know, go back up to 14, 15, maybe 20, maybe 30. But they, they've got a balance sheet. They've got a lot of cash. They can weather the storm. You could be sitting here for two years and the stock going back and forth from five to six to seven to eight and back down again uh, until they actually hit something. So it really is a gamble here. If they hit it, they'll do very well. They've got the fundamentals to do that. By that, I mean no debt 
and a lot of cash, but it's going to be very patient with us. And I also do see it doesn't necessarily come off as earnings many times. You, you have to dig through it, but they, they do have, it looks like, high stock-based compensation. So they're oh, paying a lot of employees yeah. via that. And also, too, high share dilution. It looks like they have a lot of convertible instruments that down the road can be converted to common stock if this does pan out. So right. there, there are some definitely risk factors to, to be aware of with, with this company. Yeah, so my recommendation, and I'm conservative, I would not say... To go with it, if you want to gamble, add a little bit more there. Okay, Val? Okay, thank you. All right, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right, that does open up the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And before we go to Jim, Jim, if you can be patient, we do want to talk to uh, Harrison about uh, financial planning here. So uh, just hang with us there, Jim. We'll get to you next. Uh, good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, guys. How are you doing? Good, good. I love this one here because I know back when I started, well, before that, back in the 80s, when they started taxing Social Security, people were, come, they were livid. They were going to rally and, and riot because you can never tax Social Security. So you're today talking about taxation of Social Security. What's going on here? Yeah, yeah. So you're exactly right, Brent. Uh, 1984 was the year that Social Security started to become taxable. Um, so... When you work and earn an income, either through wages or self-employment, some of your income is withheld to pay into Social Security. If you're an employee, it's 6.2% of your wages, and then your employer also pays in another 6.2%. And then if you are self-employed, then you have to cover both sides of that, and 12.4% of your profit is then withheld for Social Security. Now. These withholdings occur on an after-tax basis. So unlike 401k contributions that reduce your taxable income, when you pay into Social Security, it's not deductible. Then when you get into retirement and start receiving payments from Social Security, then it could be taxed again, um, along with you know your other retirement income. So the issue is with other retirement income sources, you either get a deduction when you save it or you can access it tax-free in retirement. But kind of to your point, Brent, the reason people were so upset is, you know, with Social Security, you're taxed on both sides. Taxed on your income when you work, and then you have to pay taxes on it again when you access it in retirement. So on the state side, most states do not tax Social Security. There are some out there. The ones that do are Colorado, Connecticut, Kansas, Minnesota, Montana, Nebraska, New Mexico, and Utah. Wait, and they so, do they do tax on it? They yeah, don't? yeah, and they do it in different ways. Some of it it's fully taxable. Some of it it's partly taxable. But those are states that I was that surprised. Do I was surprised on Montana. I didn't think Montana taxed on anything, but I guess it got taxed. On yeah, something. yeah. So actually, Montana treats it the exact same way um, that the federal side does. So on on the federal side, I'll get to in a second. Um, I guess right now, actually. So on the federal side, um, the taxation of your social. Yeah, question. But wait, yeah, you didn't mention California. You cannot tell me California (laughs) doesn't tax Social Security. That that is not California. (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say that. Yeah, California. uh, Most people listening are in California. California for now does not tax. Social Security. That, I think it's because um, it's a those... government benefit, <laughs> and California loves government <laughs> it's benefits. It's the only thing that California has over everybody else that we don't tax Social Security. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean that that is something that could possibly change. I mean, none of the states used to, and then you know over time, some of them have started to implement taxes on it. Um, but on the federal side, it, it, it can be taxable. And so what I mean by that is the taxation on your Social Security is based on something called your combined income. And your combined income is basically one half of what you receive from Social Security plus all of your other income. So that equals your combined income. And then if you're married and your combined income is between thirty-two dollars and $44,000 a year, then up to 50% of your Social Security can be considered taxable income. And then if your combined income is above 44000 then up to 85% of your Social Security is, is taxable. Um, if you're single, those numbers are 25000 to 34000 50% and then over that 34000 is 85%. So um, as far as the planning comes in, your other income is taxable and it can also cause more of your Social Security to become taxable. So if you understand how this works, um, you might be able to in some years structure your other income to be low enough where you can also get you know free Social Security. But it, it's there's nothing else that is taxed the same way Social Security is where it's based on your other income like this. Um, so I wanted to kind of point out how that works. <clears throat> yeah, and and this is why I I don't trust the government, and it, and also too I see I'll say 15 years down the road, uh, people don't freak out, but they the, the the debt now the government is 40 trillion dollars. Wait a minute, we've got all these people that have now trillions of dollars in these Roth IRAs that they're not paying taxes on, but yet they're making good money. Maybe we need to do a special worksheet for them like we did back in 83 with the Social Security. I mean, I just don't trust the government when it comes to taxation. And, you know, in addition to that, um, yeah, 1983 is when they proposed the legislation that it went into place in 1984. Mm -hmm. But those um, the, the break points I was talking about, 32,000 to 44,000, those numbers have not increased over time with inflation. So <laughs> in 1984, um, you know, $32,000 is equivalent to around $93,000 today. And so when they implemented that in retirement, a lot of people still weren't paying taxes on Social Security. But over time, as inflation has occurred and has, as incomes have gone up, more and more people are having their Social Security subject to that tax. So it's kind of like a, um, a silent tax, if you will, because yeah. of uh, the way that it's calculated. Right. And this is why financial planning is so important. I know you did say there are some ways maybe you structure your income, maybe you can miss uh, taxation some years, but it's just, uh, mm -hmm. unfortunately, that was, what do they say? Two things you'll can't avoid death and taxation. And even on the death social security taxes, yeah, yeah it, it, it is there. And it's just, uh, it's a shame, but it's reality. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's exactly right. We, we can't really control, you know, how much you put into it. It's, it's based on your income. So that's automatic withholding. And then um, in retirement, for a lot of people, there's going to be a lot of years where it is taxable. So all you can do is choose the best Social Security strategy to, you know, benefit your overall situation the best and then and then try to reduce the, the taxes, you know, when, when you can, which there are ways to do that, but you have to understand how it right. works. So that's and, and, and Harrison, you're kind of funny, too, because you mentioned about how it's double taxation. They, they tax you when you earn it and tax you when you receive it kind of like in a corporation mm -hmm. where they tax a corporation and then they tax the dividends as well. The government has a couple of things where yep. they do total, double taxation here. So, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's another one that comes up is, is yeah, corporate earnings. Yeah. So, well, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, great information. Unfortunately, it's uh, the truth, uh, but uh, people got to know about it to try to help deal with it. So, thanks for for, for I was going to say coming in. Thanks for calling in, and we'll see you on Monday. All right. Thanks, Brian. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye bye. Again, that's Harrison Johnson. He's our uh, CFP, our financial planner at uh, Wilsey Asset Management. If you'd like a free consultation with him, again, there's things you can do that are going to benefit you on taxes and your cash flow and things of these nature. It's a free consultation. He is not a commission salesperson, does not sell annuities or life insurance. He is a fee-based planner that is with Will Asset Management, but also separate from Will Asset Management. Uh, you can give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to the website. You can contact him by email there, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. And, and I am I promise you, when you talk to Harrison, we've had other people come from other financial planners, and they say, he covered so many things. My other guy didn't talk about it with him for years, and he never covered half what Harrison covered. Well, there's a big difference between asset allocation and financial planning. But <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, a lot of advisors sell financial planning via asset allocation, which that's not really true financial planning. Right. Financial plan does a lot. And I've seen Harrison, uh, the workshop, which had a great workshop this, uh, uh, what was that, Thursday. Mm -hmm. uh, he gave people a lot of information on that. So, um, and again, you can just do the same thing, just get a free consultation and uh, just go to the office. Smartinvesting2000.com. I was just ready to go to our call and I looked over and he disappeared on us. Uh, and I, you know, I did pull up what he wanted to talk about. I do forget his name. I think it was Jim. Jim. I, th I think he was calling about... Um, Am, Amcor technology, the symbol is AMR, uh, I'm sorry, AMKR, uh, then the semiconductor industry. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll go with this for the gym. Hope you're still listening here. Uh, they do have a eh, small amount of float on the short side, 5%. Small institutional ownership, 39.3%. Uh, we do see now, this is a semiconductor company, so this is pretty good. Uh, the industry average PE for the semiconductor industry is 22.8%. Uh, Amcor is 7.5, so that's a good start. Uh, price of sales, 0.8 versus 4.8. Price to book value, and this is tangible book value, 1.6 versus 330. And by the way, I looked at the price to book value. This company has no intangible assets. That's incredible for a tech company. 1.6 tangible book, book value. Price of cash flow, 5.3 versus 14.2. Peg ratio going forward, 1.9 versus 8.8. .8. They have seen over the last year their their I'm sorry their earnings increased by 10.3 percent, industry up 12.7, a little bit better. Sales for the company up 10.7, far better than the industry growth of two percent. Now the five-year growth rate estimate from the analysts is 7.5 percent uh, for the company, 11 percent for the uh, industry. We do see a dividend of 1.3 percent, but they only use 7.2 percent of their earnings to pay that out. Uh, on the balance sheet, got a current ratio of two. Yeah, that's okay. The industry's at 2.9. Debt to equity, 0.4 versus 0.6. So that is positive for the company. Net profit margin, 10.8. That's about half the industry at 21.3. And return on, on equity for Amcor Technologies 
is 20.9. We're happy with that. Energy is higher at 25.8. Jace, what do you got going forward? Yeah, so I did look and see what this company does. They actually are a provider that looks like an outsourced semiconductor packaging and test services to integrated device manufacturers, fabulous semiconductor companies, and contract foundries as well. Uh, they're also headquartered in Tempe, Arizona. So I'm, I know that there's actually a decent amount of investment flowing through to semiconductors foundries in Arizona. I, I wonder if that'll benefit them. The other thing I noticed is roughly a third of the revenue is generated in the United States with the rest coming from China, Ireland, Japan, Malaysia, Taiwan, Singapore, and countries across the world. I would want to know, again, how much comes from China. That has always been something that, you know, it's a, a difficult kind of space because we know that they are a large manufacturer, essentially, and these companies don't necessarily have operations there, but they sell to the manufacturers in China. So I, I'd want to understand that relationship because one thing we've talked about is, you know, China's done before in the past where they come in and say, no, we're just going to take your technology. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, so it, it's, again, something to consider. I, I, it is a risk that you have to understand if you own the company. So I want to understand a little bit more about the relationship with China there. Looking at the current price, though, for Amcor, it is $23.43. 52-week highs, $31.38. And the 52-week low, well, it's $14.89. Now, if I go out to December 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share of $2.83. Would give us a very attractive target sell price of $46.98. So a forward PE essentially about eight, eight and a half times. I mean, that, that's valuations are very good on this company. Also, too, I talked a little bit about the concerns, but the thing that I, I will point out as well on the positive side is we know that semiconductors have gotten kind of beaten up here, but on the positive side, we know that people are still going to need semiconductors, yeah. and we're going to need a lot of semiconductors in the technology that we're kind of implementing here over the next decade. I, I, I like the space. It's just a, a space, of course, you have to be a little bit cautious with because of the, I'm going to say, global supply chain and, and understanding what China could do. Yeah, and, and that's the big factor with, with China because they're, they're, you always got that fear yeah. what they're going to do. I, I did notice, too, that the, the earnings over the last nine days, uh, the estimates going forward are down about 13%. Uh, so they are pulling those down a little bit. But I, I, you know, I still have not finished and I barely got started yet that book on the chip world. I want to read more about the chips because I just don't see how chips in the future are not going to keep growing. Uh, because they're using more and more things. And you want to be in chip companies going forward, but you got to find the right chip companies, not ones that become obsolete. And, and you have to understand as well, one of the reasons that uh, many of the semiconductors have gotten beaten up so bad is because of the PC market. Yeah. And PCs, of course, are a huge user of chips. Chips. Well, they really pulled for that demand. PC market, I think, gosh, they've seen declines of like 30, 35% in mm -hmm. some cases year over year in terms of the sales. Well, they have so much inventory that the chip companies that need to produce more chips for those you know, PCs that it really kind of created a difficult market. So it did bring down a lot of chip companies. But again, longer term, it seems like a lot of these chip companies are trying to diversify that business into kind of new spaces. You know, we, right. we've talked a lot about kitchen appliances now yeah. use a lot of chips. Yeah. Cars use chips. I mean, there's a bunch of different industries that need chips and it seems like that is continuing to grow which should help diversify away from the pc business and i i like the space it's just one you have to be cautious in and you you brought up the pc market because again we had that that big 
purchases during COVID because everybody had to have one to be home, work from home and so forth. I, I believe to say that I, I thought, correct me if you know something different on this, that the average life of a PC, I think was around three years. Does that sound normal? You know, I, <laughs> I've, I, ha- I've had my Mac since uh, 2015, but right. I've also had my iPhone since 2015. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're you're the exception, not the rule. Yeah. But um, but but that's what I and we, maybe we'll do a post on this next week and put in the newsletter because it is something I'm kind of wondering. I, that number's in my head. That three years now it could be in past time frames. But also, too, I mean, people do drop them, they break them, they get mm-hmm. you know spilled water on them. Uh, they want something new. Everybody wants something new. Uh, and my feeling is you don't need to get a new iPhone every single time to come out. They got, what, the, the number 25 coming out? What comes up next uh, in September? Is it 15? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what number they're on. Yeah. But, um, but you don't really need a new iPhone. Uh, same thing with a PC, but you want a new one. Yep. You know, the, the keys get dirty. They kind of stick or whatever. Like, oh, just you, you just want the new one. They're not that expensive. So I, I think we could be seeing maybe next year the PC market change where it starts increasing again. Well, and I, I think just by the the nature of that volatility that we saw and the huge spike and the huge decline is now where we've kind of bottomed and hit that trough. Yeah. It's just naturally, you're not going to yeah. have another huge decline. It, it could level off and then slightly increase. And I, I do have the number if you want me to give it. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. please. <laughs> let me know. Was I close? You were close. Okay. Uh, for most desktop PCs, you can expect a minimum three-year lifespan. Okay. But the average survives around about five to eight years is oh. the average lifespan there. Okay. So so we'll say three to five probably sounds like a good number. Um, and again, there's many PCs before that time frame mm-hmm. that uh, were bought before 2020, we'll call yep. it, or 2021. That uh, Yeah. So and I think you're right. You hit that bottom, and when it starts going back up again and it's not going to be like a big jump but it changes yeah that's when oh wait a minute we do need more and and again you talk about uh, chips and toasters and and uh, refrigerators and all kinds of things are going to be used in everything they might be used in even toothbrushes for some reason who knows oh and you know what's crazy i just looking at the date here covid was three years ago yeah you know so we're, we're kind of starting to hit that that, that three-year time period where, yeah. you know, people were really kind of buying them in 2020, probably early 2021. So we're, we're, we're kind of starting to brush up against that where, you know, that, that minimum three-year lifespan is kind of starting to get hit. So you could maybe see, maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years where that, that market does substantially recover. Right, right. And and, and that's how you, you look at investing, how things are going to change and so forth. And you may not get the absolute bottom. We, we say, we'll never buy the absolute bottom or sell the absolute top. But if you get it at a reasonable price, sell at a reasonable price, you do pretty well. I, I, I do want to, uh, since well, well, we got time for somebody I was calling now, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Got about 10 minutes left here. If you get in quick, we can answer your question. But, but I want to go to uh, something that's kind of unique that I, I saw this, and it talks about India's population. It appears that this year, China... Uh, will lose its top spot regarding having the world's largest population. It is predicted by the end of this year, India's population will stand at 1.429 billion, more than China's population of 1.426 billion. Now, India is the world's largest democracy and is a natural partner and investment destination for the United States. The economy in India suffers from a 16.4% of the population living in in poverty and a labor force participation rate of only 39.8%. That many people, it's harder to find that many jobs, I guess. (laughs) But it's well below the U.S. 
participation rate a 62.6%, so a huge discrepancy there. Now, the job market is so tight in India that when they posted 35,000 job openings for their national railway system, this is impeccable, (laughs) more than 10 million people actually applied for jobs. The good news is that as relations with China continue to have concerns, perhaps some of those jobs can move to India. Currently, production line workers in China make five times the salary that would be paid to a worker in India as well. So there is some potential to have that supply chain efficiency improved in terms of the cost and and also diversification in in a new geographic location as well. And I know many people from India. They're all very nice people. Yeah. They're, they're just nice. Hardworking, to too. Hardworking, smart, mm-hmm. you know, smart. Um, we just talked about the PC market. Perhaps more PCs as they as the India population changes because, again, there's a lot, uh, what was it, uh, 16.4% in, in poverty. As they start coming out of poverty, they can start buying PCs. Mm-hmm. And you're now talking, what was it, 1.4 billion people? Um, that could be a, another change. So it's... That's why investing is so fascinating. I've been doing this for over 40 years. That's why I say, I hope to be doing it for another 40 years. It puts me at 100, but uh, <laughs> it, it's just, Over 100. Over 100. It's, it just is so fascinating when you look at how things change. And they, the, the problem that people get is they want it to change tomorrow. Yeah. It doesn't do that way. It's over time. That's why I love reading the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, seeking out for all this stuff, because it's so fascinating how things, we see them going forward. This thing with India, it's not going to change tomorrow. But as years go on by, it's going to change the the, the world. It's going to change the country here. And and we always think about too when we talk about the PC market. We're talking about here in the U.S. Did forget about the entire world in India. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And I know that uh, I'm not saying to go buy the stock because of this, but Apple. Uh, I know Tim Cook was there recently and yeah. talking about. I think they opened their first store yes. in, in in India, and they've been doing sales in India already. But I think it was their first store that they opened there, and he says he thinks India is going to be a very bright market going forward. Yeah. And I I think so too. I mean, it, obviously the potential is there with just the the, the massive population they have. Right. But I, I think if they can get the infrastructure up and running, I mean, there's a, a huge opportunity, especially for a potentially increasing middle class in India. There, there's a lot of opportunity. I think there, and I think you're starting to see more companies invest in that as well right and and, and we like apple i mean I, I have the product your other product and so forth but it's just you know we don't knock the company it's just the stock is very priced i think that, that stock could be in their trading range from 140 to we'll call it uh, 180 for years to come because they do things like this they're going to india which i think they're going to have good demand and yeah. so forth but what about samson samson's not just sitting back oh, yeah. in korea saying oh we're not gonna go to india so they they could be there uh, and I don't know, is, is Samson, here's another one, maybe you can look up over talking more, uh, are they increasing or decreasing their market share? Because I've seen some of their commercials, and I have considered, maybe I should get that phone. It looks pretty good. It just made it so hard to get a new phone. That's yeah. why I haven't gotten one. It's just too much of a pain. you got to go to the store, <laughs> change the chip, make sure your contacts are just, I'll just keep my phone. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I, I, don't, I don't know the market share there. And, and the other thing as well is, I don't believe India and China have bad relations. Right. So I think there's other Chinese manufacturers as well that could be looking at India as a potential bright spot there to, to kind of grow their business. Right. Yeah, India, I don't think they have problems with anybody that I know of. And I, I could be wrong, but they're almost like Switzerland. Like they don't have any <laughs> yeah. problems with anybody. Just like we're just in the world. You want to do what you want to do, fine. We're going to do what we do. Don't try to tell us what to do. Um, they could be a very good country superpower wise yeah. down the road and, I, and i'm probably talking 30 40 years but things will change 
they've got the people, they've got a democracy. Um, you know, people want to deal deal with them, do business with them. So yeah, no, I I think so too. And I, I was gonna say as well when you were talking about just you know looking down the road, and, and I've had this conversation more and more with people lately, and they're like, well, why would I take that risk when I can get you know four percent in a money market now? Right. And and the thing that you have to understand is. And I was, I was telling somebody the other day, I said, it feels good right. to do that because you don't have to worry about the up and down movement. And it feels like you're doing something to get a guaranteed 4%. Well, the money markets aren't necessarily guaranteed 4% because right. they will fluctuate up and down. But the thing that you have, Use a T-bill. For yeah, T-bill is, yeah. is guaranteed right. by the full faith the, the government, which some people are scared by, but <laughs> <laughs> it's still the best yeah. best game in town. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you look again, five, seven, 10 years down the road, there is a huge discrepancy between, between earning 4%, 6%, 8%. If you right. double that, I mean, that is a huge, huge change in what, just because you were scared of a little bit of volatility for a couple of years, that costs you so much money in the long term. And we know that stocks, businesses, they're going to continue to grow. Right. And it doesn't matter necessarily who's president. It doesn't matter necessarily what's going on on the, on the global stage there. Businesses will find a way to continue to grow their business to improve their products. And, and that's why stocks long term are a great place to invest as long as you're doing it properly. Right. And, and, and years ago, I, I, I did do uh, analysis saying if you bought a stock at 10 now, and it went down to eight, but then three years down the road, it was like at 20. You did so much better than had you not bought it at 10, put your money in that 4% T-bill, a year later you bought it at 12. What's a big D? $2, $3, whatever it may be. The compounding effect is unbelievable, the difference that you make over the long period of time. And, th and that's why I tell people, yeah, as you said, you may feel safe with that 4%, 4.5% T-bill now, think you're doing the right thing, yeah, it's like the old story. That's where this uh, tale came in, the, the tortoise and the hare. Yep. You know, the hare, you're being the hare like, yeah, see, Brent, you, you're, you're, you're flat, you're up 2%. I got a 4%, 5% guaranteed. I'm doing far better than you. So that's okay. Let's see where we stand two, three years down the road because maybe today, tomorrow, I'm buying a company at $10 a share that you can't get now because you liked your money up into that T-bill, and then you get it at 12 I'll do far better than you. And that's one of our secrets is is investing when the crowd doesn't feel good. And I know, as you said it, you feel so happy with that guaranteed rate. You're hurting yourself long term. And that's probably why many people are bad investors because they don't see beyond that. They just see the comfort now. Oh, I'm okay. I'm safe now. And and I, I had a conversation with somebody the other day as well. And I said, you know, I would never do that. Right. So, well, what do you mean? Why? It's a guaranteed rate. And I said, because it's not the right thing to do. And, you know, then I had another conversation. So, yeah, but I, I'm down over the last month. And I, oh, oh, it's been one month. Right. You, you know, and yeah, the, that T-bill has got up a little bit because you got the essentially the, the, the guaranteed interest right. there. But again, you look not over the next month three months, six months, one year, you're looking longer term. And, and yeah, there's going to be time periods where it's like, ah, it would have been better to buy the T-bill over the next six months and then buy. Oh, yeah. But you're playing this dangerous game. You're, you're And I don't want to say I would never buy a T-bill. If I had some liquid cash that I needed, I said, that's what they're for. T-bills are not for your investment money. There, right. There's a big difference between your liquid money and your investment money, and they should not be intertwined. Yeah, as for a destination where in six months or 12 months, I need that money for a building or something else. But if you're, don't 
fool yourself that you're being a short-term investor when it's long-term money. Yep. And and 100% of my long-term money is invested not in two days. <laughs> All right, gosh, there's a closing bell already. So thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Got more great information there. Don't forget about that newsletter there. Sign up for free. Uh, thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. So amusing to think that I did all that.